Welcome to the Annie Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 68, recorded on Saturday, October 15th, 2016. I'm Evan Minto, and with me, as usual, it's David Estrella, also known as QX20XX, famed anime Twitter comedian who has not yet broken 100 followers. No, nope. uh, I'm, I'm like- his agent. I retweet his his good content so that the world can see it. I do. I do enjoy being the top 100 under 100. It is. <laughs> you're number one under 100, I think. I think you're definitely up there. <laughs> top five. So everybody, please go follow David on Twitter, but only if, you know. Only like, until well, you get to like 99. Hits, yeah, once it hits 99. Like, like it took me a while to off. get over myself when I broke 69 and went <laughs> above the number. And at some point, I, I just ran out of fake accounts to block from my uh followers (laughs) to bring you back down to 69 so eventually you know i I don't know it could end up being the hunger games on my uh on my followers count yeah for a while david was the top 69 under 69 yes and that that famous time magazine that lasted like an hour what being at 69 yeah I guess it was because I retweeted your Pokemon tweet about how normal, uh, what was it, dark type Pokemon <laughs> are just normal type Pokemon that are assholes? Yes. <laughs> anyway, we're here hosting the Annie Gamers podcast as usual. No guests this time, but I guess, you know, whatever. We're all right. We're here to talk about some fall season anime and then whatever else we're up to. Well, first, it's I think anime, we should get into manga the, game stuff. Yeah, we should get into the whatever else first. But first off, some housekeeping. Uh, if you are subscribed to the podcast, you may have noticed something else showed up in your feed, an intruder. That's Old Taku No Radio, which is a podcast hosted by Inc. and Jared from Gamers, And that is going to be a long-form review show, hopefully not as long-form as that first episode, which was two and a half hours. Uh, they're aiming for shorter episodes going forward. But we will be cross-posting those episodes in the Gamers podcast feed. So if you want to listen to that in addition to us, just stay tuned. There's also like a separate feed for your old Takuno radio. So you can subscribe to that directly and they'll be setting that up on iTunes too. But anyway, I won't be updating much more on that in the future. Just wanted to let everybody know what's going on. And uh, other disclaimers that I now have in the show notes to explicitly remind me. Uh, I work for Crunchyroll, so especially when we're talking about fall season anime, you take what I say with a grain of salt. There's a you know sort of conflict of interest, though. You know, I am always trying to give my honest opinion. I'm not here to market anything for Crunchyroll. And in terms of promoting other stuff, I was on the Crunchycast recently. I was back on my old podcast that I hosted. Uh, so Down, that downgraded out. though, right? Now I'm a guest, not a host. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, David. You were reading a giant book about a naked fox girl. <laughs> so I bought the collector's edition of Spice and Wolf, which has Spicy Wolf. All of the books. It is massive. It's like, I don't know how many thousands of pages this is. Oh, wait. Yeah, this might be like just, yeah, no, it's just a thousand pages, but it is number they're individually numbered so this is number 730 of 2000 now from what i understand this thing sold out almost uh instantly once it got put up so i'm pretty lucky they're doing a reprint now for this in november but they're not going to be numbered and if you were 
Lucky. It's, it's an economics textbook, right? It's well, it's sized. It's titled it feels, Spice It feels like a textbook. You could probably bring this into your econ class, and it's essentially like the same thing. Uh, it's probably a better deal too, because it's like a hundred and fifty dollars. I know, like an economy textbook is definitely going to be like three hundred dollars if they don't just like price gouge it up because it's an economy yeah, I mean, textbook and it'd be like kind of funny. Like, isn't it funny that your economy textbook costs like more than a regular textbook? Yeah, I was going to say, like, they should probably call it Economy Plus. <laughs> um, or First Class Textbook. So, the actually, the writer, they timed this so that Yen Press published the book uh, around the same time that the writer of Spice and Wolf was in New York for New York Comic Con. Oh. Uh, so, if you're either fortunate or unfortunate enough, depending on your point of view, to be at New York Comic Con, <laughs> um, you could have gotten this book signed. I didn't get my copy signed. I could have gone to the Barnes and Noble after Comic Con, or rather during Comic Con. It was like an impromptu signing session because I I don't know. Like New York Comic Con's weird because it's got anime content, but it doesn't. Yeah, it's like in a ghetto. I don't even know if it's in the ghetto because I don't have like a I don't have an insider in New York Comic Con like um like what Dave Cabrera used to do when he would go voluntarily into Comic Con and then just report back for it for Colony Drop. <laughs> and just I like the way you describe it as like going voluntarily into the you know, the mouth of the beast. <laughs> like it's it's a convention. It's he, a, he attended it's the an convention. Infiltration, it's an infiltration <laughs> mission into Shadow Moses Island. <laughs> everything comes back to metal gear solid here on the <laughs> gamers podcast um but yeah uh i mean that would have been nice but the problem is like just doing anything in new york lining up for anything in new york is always just a new york style kind of hassle so no thank you i deeply enjoy my book although the text is super tiny i actually have to go look for a magnifying glass on amazon no way because it no is no way it is so small i can't i can hardly read it without giving myself a headache so you're telling me that you like if you read i mean it's huge so you probably wouldn't read it on the train but let's say you're reading it on the train and you're like oh boy reading this anime book is gonna make me look like a total dork but what's gonna help a lot is this magnifying glass <laughs> that I'm going to use to read the small text? No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel like I'm like some sort of like background character in Harry Potter. You're gonna practically give yourself a wedgie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically. So you so watch? Does it, it, does it have illustrations? I mean, it's it seems like a very heavy novel, not a oh. light novel. Oh yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, it's all of what's nice is that they're like full size. Oh yeah, this is a good one to show you. So, yeah, I, we have a video going, but none of you can see it. So I'm looking at this on the video. Okay, so it's a shot of, uh, of I believe, naked Holo from Spice and Wolf. We haven't even talked about what this thing's about. I don't think we really have to. Um, it's about a naked wolf spirit that falls into a traveling merchant's cart, and they get into all sorts of antics. Um, it's 17 volumes long, I think, with an epilogue and side stories. But, but they're all put together in an omnibus. That's why it's one big book. Yeah, it's the anniversary collection. So Spice and Wolf is essentially just, oh, it's over. The story is done. Uh, mm. So they just smashed it all together and made a really nice book that I struggled to read. 
<laughs> it's also really awkward. A very it's nice like, book. It's like for very small people because it's thin. It's thin pages, so I know like I paid so much for it, and it's very limited. So I'm like, I'm like struggling to like like not bend or crease the pages too much. But oh yeah, it's uh, I'm definitely very conscious of what I'm doing as I'm reading the book. On top of you know just the uh, the words being very small. And uh, require me to use a magnifying glass. That's insane. That's I mean, maybe that's like a uh, is that how books were published back in the time period that Bison Wolf is emulating? Maybe that's what it is. Like you're supposed to be like a monk pouring over this manuscript. Exactly. It's like I get into a certain sort of like mental aesthetic when I'm reading this book. <laughs> um. So I actually uh, I watched as I'm calling it, and I think many people are calling it, Neon Genesis Godzilla. I'm surprised you haven't seen it yet, David. Well, I kind of have two feelings about it. Like, for one, Anno feels kind of dead to me until he does more Evangelion, or rather finishes his his thing that he doesn't care about anymore. David, Shin Godzilla is Evangelion. <laughs> Like but, seriously, <laughs> but then like I don't also I also don't understand like if he doesn't want to do Evangelion, why is he doing essentially Evangelion with a Godzilla skin over it? Yeah, I mean it's so. Is it just because he can't? He can only do one kind of thing, and that's just Evangelion at, at this point. Uh, yeah, I, we... I I th I, th I think it's mostly that it's like aesthetically it's it's Evangelion, not that it is just like. He probably just doesn't want to tell the story of Evangelion anymore, right? He's done with that story. He already told that. I think he's been done with that for a long time. But he still wants to make stuff that's got a similar thing going on, right? That's what I right. think it probably is. But, I mean, it's a weird it's a weird movie. So I talked about this on a bit on the Crunchycast episode, so I'll probably repeat myself a couple times here. But, like, Shin Godzilla is, is just trying really, really, really hard to be social commentary about the Fukushima disaster which stuff, right? wasn't the 2014 godzilla kind of that as well uh i didn't oh you mean the american yeah godzilla okay uh sort of but it doesn't have like the the american godzilla i th i think lacked a sense of kind of societal anxiety it's it maybe it's just partially because godzilla is like a hero in that movie and he fights these other monsters that it just doesn't feel like the like the way the Shin Godzilla is like feels like it's a hundred percent about Japan's national anxiety about uh, everything. It's not even just about Fukushima. It has these like elements of also being anxious about Japan's place in the world and and you know political issues like that. It's it's a really not happy movie. It's just like Japan sort of sucks, and maybe we'll get some people who can make it work again. <laughs> Mm, well, from what I saw from those two trailers before the um, before the premiere in America, it does seem pretty much like just Godzilla with uh, if it was taking place in Hanno's Evangelion world. Yeah, and actually, like the some of the parts that feel the most Ava are that it is it's all about bureaucracy and a lot of it. Most of the movie just takes place in meeting rooms and things with, with just people scrambling to solve problems and then having to deal with 
bureaucratic structures that get in their way. And the beginning of the movie has this kind of brilliant, but it goes on a little long, like black comedy thing where Godzilla, it like, you know, appears for the first time and starts causing all this destruction. And all the Japanese government can do is sort of run back and forth between two rooms, briefing different ministers and trying to decide on what to do. And they end up doing nothing. They're just sort of like, uh, is there a, a monster? Uh, uh, okay, so like someone go confirm whether there is a monster. And meanwhile, I'll talk to the prime minister. And they're like, all right, we've decided how we're going to present this. So let's go and talk to the other ministers in the other room. Uh, and then like the other, you know, as, what, right when they've, they're about to like hit consensus, someone has new information. They're like, okay, we got to switch back to the other room and then formulate our plan again. That's like disappointingly <laughs> real. Exactly. <laughs> It feels uh, the way I've described it is it feels like the it feels like the dramatization of like a real event. So it's like it's like Godzilla actually landed in Japan. And then based on true accounts of what happened, we made a movie about it. Well, you gotta you gotta let me know, because this might be the deciding factor. Uh, that music in the trailer was really good. It's Ava music all but, throughout. But I heard, yeah, it's like they just do different renditions of Evangelion battle It's themes. just Evangelion music. It's totally I just... Don't, I don't know how I feel about it because the, I really like the Evangelion music, but I kind of don't want to just... It almost it almost feels like a thing that you would like see in a student film project where they just take music that they like from something else and it's like just a it's like just such a yeah, blunt yeah. reference just smacking you in the face yeah my, my friend and i were cracking up during the movie when we were like it's ava music it's just the ava music uh also there's a lot of like shots in it that feel very ano these weird just any power lines, lines trains i think there's yeah i think there's some power line things there's a lot of trains in it there are a lot of sh just a lot of shots that are kind of the the same sort of straight on close up of someone's face, you know, where they're like centered in the frame. A lot of the stuff you see in Ava. How about the Ava text? Oh, yeah, it's got a f the font looks like the Ava yes. font. It might literally be the Ava font. <laughs> and there's tons of title cards everywhere introducing every single character. It's it's a like it's a pretty flawed movie because it kind of doesn't end up being a movie most of the time it just ends up being this exercise in social commentary but it's interesting it's really cool to see Anno doing a kaiju movie and it has moments where it's brilliant like spoilers though this isn't really a spoiler at one point the u.s threatens to drop a nuke on godzilla shock wow but uh the reaction that the japanese characters have to it is probably the best part of the movie when you compare it with how that tends to happen in American movies, especially if you look at something like, a, you know, an Avengers or something, and it's like, we're going to have to drop a nuke. And then everybody's like, oh, shit, that's going to be a bad thing. We should not do that. But in Shin Godzilla, when the U.S. asks, you know, says like, hey, we're going to have to drop a nuke. We're going to need Japan's cooperation in dropping a nuke on Japan. The reactions from these like previously composed politicians are just like they're practically crying because it's it's so distressing to them to think that not only will their country be hit by a nuclear bomb again but that they would actually be complicit in doing it damn yeah <laughs> so that's like that is one of those things that you know that's what i'm talking about where like the movie is very much about japan's place in the world and and you know anxieties about japan's future and that kind of thing its relationship with the U.S. is like a particular sort of theme 
of the movie is that like you know they want u.s help but they are sort of kind of ashamed sometimes and and you know like the u.s is taking advantage of them and that kind of thing so ultimately should i do a what like an it's gonna be an hour-long commute into the city to go pay twenty dollars to go sit in a theater to watch shin godzilla for me what do you say, Evan? Is it worth it? Do I have to see Shin Godzilla in a movie theater? I mean, I, I don't think you need to see it in the theater, but you need to see it because you're David and it's Anno. It is. It is. This is, I'm like, still, is your destiny. It, you were it, born to see Shin Godzilla. I'm, I'm still I'm still on the fence of just how alive in the world uh, Anno is to me personally after, you know, just continually thinking about Evangelion 3.0. <laughs> So maybe this maybe. is Evangelion 4.0. Well, I I don't know. I'll At the see. end of the movie, they just they slap some armor on Godzilla, and they're like, "Well, if we make him look enough like a robot, everybody will be tricked until he goes berserk." So uh, whose whose mom is Godzilla? Uh, Godzilla is uh is the mother of the the American girl who speaks broken English. Does she fuck uh, Godzilla? Uh, not yet, but probably in, what would that be after Shin Godzilla? Uh, Shin Shin, new Shin Godzilla. <laughs> new Shin Godzilla Armageddon. So speaking of, uh, big screen monsters, I have been with the small screen monsters. You might even say that they're pocket sized monsters. I've been playing yeah, a lot of Pokemon. That, that was not, that was not good, but I'll let it, I'll let it slide. You gotta let it slide because otherwise we're going to be here all day. <laughs> Okay, um, <laughs> so my latest uh, failure in life was to get back on the Pokemon train. Um, I found a copy of Pokemon White that I bought years ago and never played. And I just popped it in and I'm like, oh, let's just see what this stupid thing's about. And now I'm in like 100 hours later. I bought Dragon Quest Seven. I played it once and then I never touched it again. I've gone completely off brand. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, everybody. I can't believe this. Um, you were just talking so much about Dragon Quest last episode. You're like, no, I am such now a, I'm a Pokemon boy. I am such a failure of a human being. Uh, Pokemon is really good, actually. Um, I stopped playing when it was bad. Wow. David's got the hot takes here on the Anti-Gamers uh, podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. But like the, the problem was that the... The Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald generation were a step up, but they were definitely the start of Pokemon not being exactly different or like remarkably like, hey, here's what's new. Um, and that kind of continued on into Diamond and Pearl and the Heart Gold Soul Silver remakes. So by the time it got to the Gold and Silver remakes, I was kind of like just completely burnt out. I'm done. There was just no inspiration left in the design anymore. So white, unfortunately, was when things kind of pick up again. White is, is white a new? Is that like an original? That I don't know anything about modern Pokemon. Okay, so like, okay, it's so not a remake, right? White is a completely new generation. So okay, yeah, they've got it down as Generation Five. Uh, X and Y, which are the 3DS ones, would be Generation 6. So Sun and Moon that are coming up next month are Generation 7. Okay, yeah. Okay, so Generation 5. 
there's like actual plot in Pokemon. There is really great distribution of the Pokemon themselves, which I appreciate. The scaling of difficulty actually makes a lot more sense compared to all the other Pokemon before it, where you get like stuck in these spots where it's like you've only got Geodudes and other like crappy guys to fight and you don't know what to do because whatever else is after this phase that you're at is like just too powerful for you or like you don't you don't have like the right type because you know the the distribution of the pokemon is like so dumb and so limited because like nintendo just like i don't know for whatever reason like pokemon company they just withhold in a way like all like the cool stuff and like just make you go through all sorts of things to actually get them maybe maybe it's to elongate the game experience yeah but you don't really need it and just the way people were playing was so dumb and counterintuitive around generation four where it's like oh well like you know just breed all these guys in one copy of the game and swap them over and it's like uh, it's it's a lot of tedious work so with black and white you they start to ease off a little bit so now it's not like it's not such a struggle to get things that you actually want and it's not such a struggle anymore to actually just kind of progress like at a good pace because you know like all the cool stuff is at the end so black and white is to go back to that the fact that it actually has plot it's like not like super amazing plot or anything but there is something in it that i appreciate uh for one it's got this weird sort of villain where it's like you don't know if they're entirely bad or good because they want to liberate all the pokemon and they kind of have good reasons for doing so where it's like the pokemon really want to be in essentially essentially they're enslaved in balls right like yeah no i mean listen poke like there's it's pokemon slavery let's be real basically basically that and yet, for four generations, is painted as like you know, Pokemon love to be enslaved in Pokeballs, and they waited until Generation Five to dang, say, "Wait a sec, I'm totally yeah, I'm totally on board with this. Why aren't we freeing all the Pokemon?" <laughs> so that's kind of cool for like, because it's still played for kids, you know. Like it's a lot of the dialogue is like really like theatrical. Just like, it's the villain here is called team plasma and whenever they lose their trainers shout plasma <laughs> and it's just it's so dumb just like real abolitionists yeah like they, it, yell, it, they used to yell plasma whenever they <laughs> you know failed to live no, they, they would slave. they would when they'd be yelling abolition, <laughs> abolition! <laughs> free the pokemon <laughs> So that's like a seriously kind of um, that makes you like surprisingly actually... real thing. That's like, uh, it, it actually seems kind of bad to paint those people as as the bad guys. Well, that's the thing though, because like <laughs> you're they're PETA, kind of yeah. Because like they dress up as like knights first of all. Okay, yeah, they're definitely anybody who any dork who dresses up like a knight. I don't care what your ideology is. Okay. But they're they're like still using like the, the sort of like dark type Pokemon where it's like these are like the bad guys Pokemon. Um, they're, but they're they're normal type Pokemon. They're assholes. But they've they've got this goal that's almost noble if you think about it. Like why? It's like it's a philosophical. Why do we play Pokemon? Why do we Pokemon battle? Um, 
Unfortunately, black and white doesn't really have good answers for that, and the world kind of persists in this cycle of slavery. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it just says, like, uh, well, uh, we wouldn't have a game, so we're going to kill all of you abolitionist Pokemon people. <laughs> um, and actually, so black... Like, what's the, black what and is white the... Had- how- like how did they you know approach the scene at the end where all of the team plasma people are executed by firing squad <laughs> like did they how did, uh, how did they play that like for, for kids you know there there's a legendary pokemon that uh i guess is essentially like this version's like strongest pokemon like i don't remember what the conceit was here like cuz there's always like okay these are like mewtwo was like genetic modification and at some point pokemon essentially just became gods like actual like right. gods that formed the, the world of pokemon uh i think that might have been generation four so i don't know what's above a god yeah. for generation That's, five this is literally the exact same problem of dragon ball z yeah it's like oh so it's after super saiyan four uh super saiyan god and they're like what's after super saiyan god and they're like shit uh, <laughs> we- <laughs> We accelerated too fast. <laughs> We've hit the speed of light. We can't go further. Um, so I guess the idea was in black and white, they would, uh, a hero would rise, but not really. And he would liberate all the Pokemon, but that doesn't happen because, <laughs> so it's, because that's it's, the thing it's is, just like a, it's a lie to placate the population. The thing is, cause it's two, they're two legendary Pokemon. So the, antagonist that you're facing off against has one of the legendary pokemon and then you have another one uh and then so it's god versus god uh and Dawn of god Justice. god wins but but uh the pokemon <laughs> remain in the pokeballs you know like pokemon liberation is such a such an issue in generation five uh if god isn't on your side um i'm not <laughs> sure this is, this is really getting heavy <laughs> God versus God. Whoever God, wins, God wins. God has decided that the Pokemon remain in the Pokeballs. Uh, and then and then well, it has a David, sequel. David, th- like, it's, it's, it's sort of like actual politics. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a sequel. Uh, so I guess it, it's weird because it's like, it's not nearly as... Uh, in this gray area of liberating Pokemon anymore, it's like, okay, so here's this world that you saw in the original black and white, where there was this issue with Pokemon being liberated. Uh, here's the same exact world with very few things changed and nobody is trying to free the Pokemon. So it's like a standard Pokemon game without any of like the interesting plot bits. Wait, what's that? Which game is that? Black and white two. (laughs) <laughs> it was it's the depoliticized black and white so it's They're like life. yeah just uh just don't worry about it the pokemon are all slaves and there's nobody trying to stop that because it's totally cool and good yeah. move on with your life it's life after the revolution that failed yeah exactly um after I, they've yeah. put all the team plasma people to death i They're like yeah. you know peace has been restored to the galactic empire like i I don't know yet because I haven't finished the game yet. I'm kind of close, but I don't know. Maybe there'll be like a Game of Thrones style, like just twist at the end where like the legendary Pokemon comes back and kills all of the people that were slaving the Pokemon. And uh, yeah. And then there's a Pokemon anarchist utopia. Yes. 
yeah the pokemon have to determine new new social structures to set up uh build homes with wait, the bones of dead wait. humans isn't that just like that that short before the first pokemon movie where it's just pikachu and all the pokemon and that like utopia oh that's true they just left out the fact that uh the you know the the grass has been fertilized with the bodies of all of the humans <laughs> that pikachu single-handedly murdered <laughs> uh, uh so yeah so you uh, either get yeah. you either death by hanging or death by the pikachu electric chair so uh yeah uh, pokemon black and white is probably right now like my favorite generation just for being kind of a little, little bit uh a little bit out there but then generation six goes the villain is about uh getting lots of money and being rich apparently oh wow so, so they're donald, like donald they're basically Trump made an basically appearance. just go back to like being team rocket essentially is that their goal i never i mean it seems like, in the, like in the anime was, team rocket's goal is get oh, a pikachu come which on is the their, dumbest their boss thing. is giovanni it's what essentially just like a like a mob right oh right right like you a pokemon mob name. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but like a Pokemon mob with really stupid costumes. Yeah. They When's the last time the mob was like, all right, we all are going to wear suits, but our suits are going to say M on it. <laughs> hey, hey, boss, what does the M stand for? <laughs> it stands for mob. <laughs> that would have been a great segue to talk about Mob Psycho 100, but that show's over. So we're going to talk about the fall season anime. Yes. I haven't even finished Mob, but it's, uh, it's good. Mob is really good. Yeah. You know what's not good? What's not good? But you made me watch it anyway. <laughs> the Magical Girl Raising Project. All it's right. New show this season. All right. Let me just give it to me. Let me have it. Like why it's not good? Yes. So this, this isn't actually why it's not good. But the first thing to point out is it, it's trying to be Madoka. It is like, so clearly trying real. to be Madoka <laughs> from like the first second. Yeah. It's like this normal girl wants to be a magical girl. But there's like a hint that the you know that becoming a magical girl is like a deal with a, with the devil kind of thing, kind of like Madoka, uh, except she just becomes a magical girl immediately within episode one, unlike Madoka. Well, it's kind of begins with them just saving like cats and rescuing right. like I don't know like bringing down balloons from trees and uh, finding a girl's keys that she lost like five feet from her door that's true and she, well i mean there was an implication in that scene that she was like maybe she lived in a bad neighborhood and she was like afraid of you know somebody attacking her because she was like i don't think she was just nervous like oh god oh god where's my key oh no like what'll i do without my key i think she was like i'm out late and if i can't get in somebody might come by and do something to be fair but it's there's there's the obvious angle that it's like it's totally like madoka kind of uh would you could argue madoka wasn't 100 percent this but we've talked about this madoka is like kind of targeted to dudes right and this thing is especially definitely oh this is like way more for dudes. dudes than like madoka was yeah yeah madoka i think had some probably deliberate crossover appeal to it but yeah, this is 100% for dudes, down to the fact that spoilers, but who cares? One of the magical girls is actually just a dude, which is kind of cool, like would be cool. It's got like, you know, it's kind of progressive. Oh, right. Yeah. There's that whole bit where 
in where he's like, well, what, what's wrong about a dude wanting to be a yeah. magical girl? Yeah. Uh, that sort of stuff is like a little interesting because like there's a, you know, there's, there's a reading of that that I think is, is interesting where it's like, you know, it's a trans thing or something, right? Like him wanting to be a girl, but him wanting to be a magical girl, but not wanting to be a girl is what throws me off a little bit. Way different. Different Yeah. 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 But yeah, he doesn't become a magical boy. He transforms into a magical girl, sort of Ranma style, I guess. Yeah. Uh, like so actual like, like girl yeah isn't there an there's like a conversation that they have at one point where it's like and you're totally a girl and he's like oh yeah i checked <laughs> <laughs> i feel like he said something like that um, and and i if i remember correctly the the girl talking to him like just sort of doesn't even react to that she's like oh wow okay because she understood <laughs> immediately what all of that meant <laughs> you don't have to say anything more in like uh I don't know, uh, just a late night anime, but not that late night. Right, right. Yeah, it's definitely like super innocent, though. You know what's up when you see this, like the ninja magical girl. Also, all the magical girls have stupid cosplay themes to them, which is, I think, something you generally only really see in these sort of, you know, male otaku targeted magical girl shows where it's like basically fetish costumes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like, she's a ninja magical girl. This one's like a night magical girl. This one's a you know classic whatever kind of traditional magical girl like a creamy mommy magical girl and yeah the ninja girl if i remember correctly is the one that's not wearing a lot of clothes the one that's totally not homer right yeah right she's she's just homer because she's super like surly <laughs> she doesn't want to talk to anybody but she's you know she's soon dead i guess she'll probably become best friends with the main girl and she knows exactly what's going on yeah, she knows, like, she can see the gears turning underneath the magical girl industrial complex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the show, like, to be fair, the show wasn't, like, awful. It's just, it's completely unremarkable. It just feels like a sort of cash-in on, on you know, all the stuff Otaku want, plus this, like, tie-in with a... It has, like, they turn into magical girls by playing a, a mobile game, which I feel like there's got to be a mobile game tie-in that they're pushing, well, it, we're kind of like in like the the mobile game as a plot thing bubble, yeah. Where it's like pretty much everything has mobile games as some component of the story now, right? Well, I think I think in like an actual for girls magical girl show, it makes sense, right? Because the the things that magical girls use to transform with tend to be just whatever is kind of popular among girls at the time or whatever, right? You know, the thing that, you know, I think Sailor Moon is like a compact or something, mm-hmm. right? And in like modern magical girl shows, it can be like a cell phone or something that's more sort of con- contemporary. Not that compacts aren't used, but things that are more like hip, right, for for young girls and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, I never, never like magical girl shows for dudes. And I realize it's a double standard because I'm kind of all right with sports shows about dudes for girls, <laughs> But it's uh, it just always feels kind of creepy and weird when you have this show. It's like, let's just be a fly on the wall and watch these little girls want to be magical girls. Okay, so we're we're pretty much on board in saying that it's completely cool for like attractive and hot and cool dudes to do stuff, right? And for that to be aimed at women. Yeah, that's fine. That's cool. So. Because what I want to go into now, transition, 
you're watching <laughs> Yuri on Ice. That's true. Which is right, like right. so it's so uh hot dudes doing hot dude stuff uh for girls to watch, right? It's pretty gay. Like Like you'll admit that like up front like it's it's gay, right? I don't th- I'm not sure whether it's going to turn out to actually be gay, right? Like it would be cool if it did, but I have a feeling it's going to do the typical sort of, you know, coy BL baiting thing where it's not actually a story about gay characters. It's a story about two straight, two two hot straight dudes who are so hot that they turn each other temporarily gay. Just Just gay enough. They just really like each other's company, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, just to be on, on the record, uh, baiting is like not, that's not that cool. Baiting isn't cool. Yeah. Cause it's, it, it trivializes the, experiences of actual gay people <laughs> so yeah that that stuff is generally like i don't like that in in any form uh so you know wh- whether it's like yuri or yaoi style baiting i think that uh i don't know I'm, I'm more comfortable with just the general concept of you know sports anime about hot dudes or whatever and it's like sure that that's okay it's probably because there's less of a history of oppression of hot dudes right <laughs> so <laughs> i feel a little less bad about that but uh, but yeah, just in terms of like, you know, it's baiting that stuff I'm not super comfortable with. But also, again, if you made a story about like, you know, hot volleyball players and they were gay and they were actually gay and that was the story, that's like, yeah, OK, cool. Do it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, have you watched Yuri on Ice? If I wanted to watch hot guys do hot guy stuff, I'd just watch actual sports. <laughs> because in that case, I would actually have like the social currency gained for true, having something to talk about at work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I watch anime to watch probably not hot dudes do. I, I'm more comfortable with like not hot dudes doing like just anything. So you really like my love story? I don't know what that is. Oh, that's the thing about the the guy who looks like a gorilla. It's like a shoujo where he I'm reading the manga right now where he, he he's like, nobody will ever love me. And then this super cute girl really likes him. And then they just have a. Uh, adorable but kind of painful to watch romance where they're both idiots and they don't know how to mm. date somebody well, well i already i feel like after i watched karikano uh i had enough pain of watching two people be super awkward in shoujo in a shoujo story <laughs> yeah that was, that was enough for my lifetime yeah so listen, listen, David, you need to watch Yuri on Ice because as I, you're no doubt aware, it's directed by Sayo Yamamoto. Who's great. She's great. She's the director of Michiko and Hachin, the woman called Fujiko Mine, and probably some other things that I'm forgetting about. She did a bunch of episodes on like Penny and Stocking, or at least one episode on Penny and Stocking. I don't remember if she did more than one. And uh, she also did an Animator Expo short that this is clearly inspired by. It's called Endless Night, I think. And it's about male figure skater or I think I forget if it's about multiple ones, but it's about at least one male figure skater. And uh, yeah, clearly like that got turned into Yuri on Ice, though the story is totally different. But it's uh, it's really, really nicely animated. Sayo Yamamoto's like pacing is is fantastic. It's just like it's, it's really fun to watch. I think you would enjoy it despite the baiting. <laughs> you know, like my... My problem is probably just going to be like, because the purpose is to, is to watch hot guys be hot. 
and that doesn't really do anything for me. No, so that's the thing is it's like it's uh, because it's Sayo Yamamoto, I guess she's not just doing that. Like there's an element of kind of perfunctory, like I, I almost imagine know. it being like entirely like Kyoto animations free where it's like entirely just like pecs and abs and just, you know, like Kyoto animation style characterization. I haven't seen free, so I can't speak to that. Like just wall to wall, like, like half naked dudes. I think the thing to keep in mind is that Saya Yamamoto is, is pretty, um she knows what she's doing you know what i mean like and i i mean kyoto animation knows what they're doing but i guess it's like they know what they're doing for a different kind of flavor like (laughs) i i wouldn't compare saya yamamoto with anything that is coming out of kyoto animation's camp basically i think she's got a lot more kind of guile to her than they do where where (laughs) she she plays it i think a little bit less just like there's a fan service angle but she's kind of always laughing at it a little bit while she's doing it. If that makes any sense. You know what I mean? That makes, that makes sense, yeah. Uh, but outside of that, it's actually just a, it's a good story. It's a good sports story. And it's about a subject that we don't see a lot of, right? Like, when's the last time you saw an anime about figure skating? I literally can't think of one. <laughs> I'm sure there's one. There's got to be some manga about figure skating. We're going to have oh, yeah. one angry listener who loves right, whatever right. other figure skating anime came out before this and is like just completely livid that this is the one that's getting attention versus their thing. That's right. That's right. But yeah, it's uh, it it's just a, like the first two episodes which I've seen so far do a really good job of establishing these characters and creating this arc for the main character who's this figure skater who's in a slump and trying to kind of get back into it and you know he's i think he's like nationally recognized japanese figure skater so he kind of went to like international competitions but he he like you know uh lost his first round or whatever right so he's trying to move his way up so yeah it just does a good job of setting up all these characters and their relationships and you get like a you very quickly understand where everything's going and yeah it's just you know it's gonna end up being kind of inspirational story of you know, sportsman becoming better sportsman by kissing other sportsmen. Oh, oh, that's how that works. Yeah, that's how they transfer talent. Yeah, no, in, no in wonder sports. I sucked at gym class. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of compelling sports anime that uh, follow sports that you n- never see in anime or rarely see in anime. David I am watching Scorching Ping Pong Girls. David is watching Scorching Ping Pong Girls exclusively because Muneki Ogasawara, when we interviewed him at Otakon, said, do you guys know about my new ping pong show coming out from Studio Kinema Citrus? And he showed it to us, and I said, that's a show for David, because it had a bunch of Moe <laughs> girls playing ping pong. So, yeah, essentially, it's kind of like a moral obligation now to follow the Scorching ping pong girls blaze their trail uh up to the uh the national tournament okay so compare it to ping pong the anime i'm gonna say that even though um oh what's his name what's the ping pong man masaki yuasa even though yuasa's entire body of work aesthetic and philosophy in his work is completely not my jam um i'm gonna say that it's probably put a lot more work into ping pong than scorching ping pong girls (laughs) 
Uh, Scorching Ping Pong Girls comes from the school of sake, kind of, like, oh, girls. The that, Mahjong show? That, like, are doing, like, super-powered sports stuff, I guess. I, I don't know, like, Mahjong's not really a sport, but it's a game. It's a game. Yeah. And essentially, like, I'm seeing, like, kind of, like, the same, the same kind of uh, characters that show up. So, how many girls is it? It's, like, it's always, like, four main girls. And obviously, one of those girls has to be the titty girl, right? Because you can never Always. get away from from that. But yeah, so her special power is to have breasts. Uh, what does that do for you in ping pong tactics? Um, well, it's actually a weakness because of the weight distribution. So the way oh. that the main character, who's like, shows up and she's insanely good for whatever reason, she's like essentially like Saki, like where she's like a monster at this but she's also like really meek and like can't talk to people but when she gets the the ping pong racket thing paddle in her paddle yeah when she gets the paddle in her hand thank you for that when she gets the <laughs> paddle in her hand she becomes a monster and she has to like only like play like two or three rounds with somebody before she figures out like oh so because she has big breasts if I get her to move around a whole bunch, she's going to tire herself out. So they're playing like outside of the table. So like the, the ball's like going everywhere. And essentially the girl just tires her out and then she wins. And then everybody around her is just like so shocked. It's like, it's like very Kaiji light with its expressions. Kaiji light. Well, anything that's not Kaiji is Kaiji light when it aspires to be like Kaiji with its, with the ridiculous reactions to what's going on. Um, so it's definitely a show. Uh, you've definitely seen stuff like this before. Um, I'm, I'm vaguely interested because Kinema Citrus did Yuyushiki, which is a show I thought was pretty funny and is, you know, a cute girls doing cute things show. But I don't think it's the same manga artist, which means I don't, I doubt it will be as good. No. Um, the... Wake Up Girls did the ending song for this show. Now, oh, they're still I, alive? I was shocked. I was as shocked as you were. Um, yeah, just assumed that they had all graduated and, uh, you know, the Pokemon God had declared that they yeah. must all be killed. Well, they live in Japan, so it's like you kind of, you know, that's uh, that's where it all happens. You know, yeah. all the Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Pokemon comes from Japan, and yeah. Japan is ruled by you know a council of Pokemon gods. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they did the song for that. So I guess, uh, in some respects, the uh, Scorching Ping Pong Girls is like super extended universe Wake Up Girls. <laughs> um. So I mean, you got me on the hook now, because like, if you've got the guy that worked on it plus the Wake Up Girls involved on the project like i'm not getting out of this anyway and like who knows i might actually like it by the end so you know it's back this season i know it's back after a brief stint in you know being slowed down and turned into cg and uh and you know relabeled as berserk instead of instead of season uh what would it be 7.5 uh take you is back (laughs) take you is back and i i there, we don't need to say much about it except go watch take you uh but, it's it's the best but this episode of take you is like it's take you has never been more back 
then with this last episode. <laughs> the, 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 I think both of the last two episodes, I I had to watch them twice watch to make like sure I got times. the jokes. <laughs> Take you as oh. every episode's two minutes long. It's the only anime you actually need. I think it was the first anime I watched of the season, and I barely watched anything else. Like before I watched Yuri on Ice or anything, I was like, oh, I'll just watch Take You. Yeah, no, if you're not if you're not on board by like now we're on like episode 80, there's really no hope for you. Yeah, I've, so I was talking to somebody who's like, oh, I can't watch it yet. I got to go catch up on the old episodes. That'll take you 20 minutes. <laughs> not really. A little bit longer. 40 minutes. Yeah, no, at, at this point, the take you's got a very, very sizable backlog of episodes to watch. It's not that bad. They're so fast. It just it might just be too much for your brain if you're not like programmed for it yet. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, it's, you know, requires training. <laughs> a little bit of concentration. Yeah. So somebody told me that Miss Bernard says is a lot like Take You. Um, it's Take You with books. Really? Wait, is it similarly fast? It's fast. It's <gasps> actually, the so the comedy is a little bit more leaning along the lines of something like Daily Lives of High School Boys, which is so ridiculously funny. I went I, I haven't watched, actually like, watched most of that, but yeah. Oh, I, God. What oh I've God. seen of it was really funny. <laughs> okay, so just like just like little detour here. Uh, Daily Lives of High School Boys. Um, oh, wow. I meant to watch like one skit for one bad tweet that I was going to post. And then I ended up watching like 20 more skits on YouTube after that one. Because it's just, it's so, it's, uh, it's, it's good. It's good. So Miss Bernard says is essentially that style of joke where Take You kind of comes at you out of nowhere, but Miss Bernard builds and it's like three minutes long. So it's one minute longer than Take You, which gives it a lot more room to do fewer jokes, but bigger, bigger jokes. And did you did you see anything yet on like any screen caps? Not yet. I've heard barely any chatter about it. Okay, yeah, no. So you should definitely, definitely go watch it because at least like the sc the screen caps will probably kill the the punchline for you. But just just to watch it, like I did, I don't know. I just like I just popped it in because I thought like eh, it's only like three minutes long. Like maybe it'll be like Tiki with books, and then it was Tiki with books. Literally, so that's that's another you, one to look for. Take you, but when they don't play tennis, they don't play tennis using books as the rackets. No. What did All they right. ever use a book as a racket yet? No, they've used a lot of other shit as rackets though. <laughs> Isn't, wasn't there like a racket with where like the strings were like made of like the natto bean? I think like so, the, probably. Like the, yeah. Also, they never really played tennis outside of a handful of episodes. Yeah. For, you know, one gag where they they hit a couple tennis balls and then they stop. Yeah. So 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 just so you know, Miss Bernard says actually is about books. It's about books. <laughs> okay? So. All right. So the one thing uh, which I guess neither of us have seen, but maybe we'll talk about this in a future episode that I've been hearing really good things about is flip flappers, which looked not worth my time initially. And then people started like posting scenes from it and stuff. And it potentially looks interesting. I guess it's got like a magical girl angle to it or something. People with the name with a name like that. Like, I don't know. I don't want to write it off, but <laughs> flip flappers is a really dumb name i just want to really put that out there it's a bad name and it sounds like the kind of show that somebody is really gonna enjoy for one season and then we'll never talk about again yeah that's called 
the miles gap. So the term right. is for that. Right. Yeah, people have been saying it looks Ghibli esque. But get real, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come right. on. <laughs> so this is one of my pet peeves: is people who say like you know that they're looking at an anime and all they can do is say it looks like Ghibli, it looks like Gainax, or it, it looks, looks like, like Death Note, <laughs> looks like Piccolo, looks like it's Goku. looking like Goku, <laughs> it's looking like Case Closed, it's looking like anime. <laughs> why? Why didn't I think to do that? <laughs> no, but like. People can just compare, like, visually, their their frame of reference is three studios with name recognition, and that's it. That's a problem. That's not, like... You can't just say Miyazaki directed everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't just say that everybody aspired to be like Miyazaki. Yeah, it's like, basically, if... if I, I've seen this pattern, the way this works out. Like, if it is action-heavy, it looks like Gainax. Yes. If it's kind of obtuse... And has just kind of like a weird, uh, you know, textured art style or whatever. It looks like Shaft. If it has any sort of lush scenery, it looks like Ghibli. Like that—that's where people go. That's all it is. Anime criticism one hundred and one here. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like there's there's a lot more variation, right, in terms of individual artists and and stuff. And so like the real comparisons come down to, you know, what animator does this look like or whatever or or not even that right it's just it's even just breaking down like what does it look like outside of it looks like ghibli right what is the actual description of the art style um yeah kind of pet peeve of mine anyway i do want to watch flip flappers because i've seen some some interesting looking animation from it and uh the character designs are kind of cool looking i think it's time for questions david yep i'm ready for some questions a couple twitter questions at sign dylan dumay who I believe has asked us some questions before, asked about Yuri on Ice. Uh, he said it gave him hope for anime all, uh, for all anime. Again, that's what that's crazy. Having hope for all, all of anime. them. Well, Should we let shows get our hopes up, knowing most other anime will disappoint? Well, what a very Annie Gamers question we you asked to these two, that, weren't we? these two cynics. Hmm. So, well, you got to ask yourself, when was the last time you got your hopes up for anime? And how did that work out for you? I mean, Yuri on Ice. I mean, I, I tweeted about it where I was like, I watched the first episode of Yuri on Ice and I, t- I temporarily think anime can be good sometimes. I have like exactly 24 minutes before this wears off. So I need to watch one other yeah. show. <laughs> but yeah, like but I... before that, I mean, I, there's actually like, you know, I, I, I joke about being super cynical, but there's there are still a lot of things that I see. Maybe not a ton of new things, but I mean, there's. Yeah, I guess maybe I should say new things because it's like, oh, I watched uh, Belladonna of Sadness, but that's an old movie. So that doesn't really show <laughs> me that anime can still be good. But I think Mob, Mob's like, I mean, I can somewhat take or leave the the story side of it. But visually, it's like, whoa, yeah, cool. People doing stuff outside of just, you know, paint by numbers, anime, limited animation stuff. But I mean, it's still kind of limited, right? But. I don't mean to throw all limited animation under the bus, but I just mean like Mob Psycho experiments a lot with the the visuals, right? With not even just uh, not even just animation style, but even just the sort of like style of draftsmanship for particular scenes, things like that. And that's really heartening to see that people are doing that. There's there's a lot. There's like usually about one thing per season that is kind of like oh cool anime can can still surprise me and be interesting 
Where, whereas where I sit, like, you know, I see the one cool thing and I kind of like write that off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, within like, you know, like a few tweets, a few screencasts. And I say, eh, not into it. Um, but my, my thing is when I see something that I really like, uh, I'll try to rationalize in my head that this is more than anime. This well, is outside of <laughs> this is this is outside of the uh, the common slot that we're served. Um, so the last time I felt like that was when I watched Kizu, and the time before that was when I watched uh, Princess Kaguya. So Kizu, so, it's uh, Kizu Monogatari, right? Yeah. Okay. I think some people have referred to Kiz Naiver like that. I could be wrong. I definitely as, did not feel as anything Kizu is what I mean. about like, Kizu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't feel um, anything about that show. Yeah, I think that you know, I mean, anime as an industry is is it's not a medium for experimental art. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's a very commercial medium that exists to to sell you know is. sell Blu-rays and things. So occasionally you get people kind of coming from this this more experimental art background or or just you know people who are genuinely interested in, in just trying to tell a unique story. Right. And they're doing that within this, the frame of this industry. But, but yeah, I think it is, it is sort of accurate to, to say like a lot of times these things that are particularly ambitious are in some sense, not, they're not playing the game. Right. Oh, no. like, if you play, if you play the game, then we, we're not expecting anything good. We're just kind of expecting something to pass through our digestive system and then, safely make its way out when we're done with it yeah and i mean a lot of the most interesting things in anime and i think this is true for virtually any commercialized medium a lot of the most interesting things result from people trying to kind of use the the power of the industry to push a project that is you know where like the impetus for it for making the for the project interesting is not to make more money but to just make something cool that they like you know like look at gundam so, or something where it's like yeah we'll sell toys but we'll tell an interesting war story right anyway that's a lot of a lot of thoughts on that but uh yeah i mean it it's fine just just keep in mind that anime is uh anime is not here to provide you with you know the most amazing stories it's here to sell you a product and so a lot of times things are just going to be mediocre but but there are a lot of artists who care about their work and sometimes they get a chance to make something cool and sometimes they try and they make something bad, but that's interesting too. At least they tried. Uh, at sign Ponciano 96 underscore J thoughts on the ass shots in Yuri glorious or a bit too much. Presumably Yuri on ice and not in, you know, lesbian anime. I mean, we talked about that a little bit. It's, a little uh, bit. it's a little bit kind of exploitative and, and not, well, I guess the, ad, the the ass shots on their own are just sort of fan service, right? For for I guess more the broadly than saying just women is just for yeah. for people attracted to men, right? So the, like the problem the problem is that a figure skater is never gonna go out in like baggy khaki shorts to go figure skate. Uh, you're gonna get a lot of definition in in the ass area <laughs> when you're animating a figure skater. It's true. It's true. It's incidental, essentially. Uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's definitely also. It is very, very intentional for sure. I mean, there's the you. You haven't seen. I maybe you've seen the GIF, but where the uh, the Russian guy Victor shows up in the bathhouse and he's completely naked. So there's a lot of stuff like that. Eh, 
you know you're gonna be naked in the bathhouse you know i know right but uh again i think that i think sayo yamamoto's got a lot of like kind of good humor about it where she is she's not like undermining it or something she's not doing some sort of sophisticated you know deconstruction of it but i just think that it's it's basically that she doesn't like try to slip it in there and that's really what it is right it's like with a lot of fan service things try to just like put it there and be like oh i didn't know that was there whoops this character oh. happened to be naked let's, but like let's, Yamamoto, not, let's not slip it in when we're talking about ass shots i know right <laughs> no but say yamamoto like she just puts it out there like pretty like the scene where where victor is naked is like in your face and it's played for laughs and she's like she's owning up to it it's like she's not trying to just like well whoops we put some fan service in she's like no this is this how did that happen front and center like let's make this a big (laughs) gag at the end of the episode so yeah it it makes it kind of fun uh it doesn't bother me too much at sign cow suicide on twitter asks what is the best anime video game and then the most so these this is i think i know what he's asking frightfully like He's asking, what's the best anime video game and then the most anime video game? Which are two different things. Yeah. Another very anti-gamers podcast question. So, there's not a lot of good anime video games, right? Let's get that out of the way. Yeah, let's let's, let's be (laughs) real. So, which are the ones that we enjoy? I like Dragon Ball Z Budokai Tenkaichi 2, specifically. That's, That's a good choice. I've talked about this before, because... That, and it's like a it's like a 3d free f- free movement fighter whatever those are called right where you like you fly around and you're not like it's not a you know strictly just this one axis uh i like it because it's accurately unbalanced <laughs> so if you play as super saiyan 4 gogeta and your friend plays as yajirobe yajirobe can't fly he literally can't fly and gogeta can and Gogeta has like three times his health. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, yeah. In Dragon Ball Z, if Yajirobe tried to fight Super Saiyan 4 Gogeta, he'd lose. He'd get killed. <laughs> so that's what happens. And it's like not good game design, but it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's true to the source material, at least. Yeah, they also just have a lot of characters, which is always cool, right? That's the whole point. The only thing that you want to do in a Dragon Ball Z fighting game is just match people up. And be like, what if these two people fought? It's a fan fiction machine. So I got another fighting game for you. Because I guess fighting games just really lend themselves yeah. to being good for anime. Because otherwise it's like a mess. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for a medium to adapt uh, another medium that doesn't have very good stories in it, you know, pick fighting games. <laughs> um, I am going to say Melty Blood. Oh, I think you Melty talked about Blood. it on the show. Melty Blood is like the de facto anime fighter. So it is actually mechanically very sound. It's a lot of fun to play. It's very fast. You got a bunch of characters in there, but they're all... So like the thing is like it's a visual novel, but there's uh, the uh, there's Shiki from Karen no Kyokai, which is an anime, but it's also a light novel. And it's like... but. It's an anime fighter. Come on. So I'm going to say that that is my choice. I also like uh, one of the JoJo's games I played. I didn't play a lot of it, but it was uh, uh, All-Star Battle, I think, is the one I played. I might have played a little bit of the other one. one? Yeah, something like that. 
Yeah. I might have played a little bit of the other one, the m- more recent one, uh, Eyes Eyes of Heaven or something like that. Uh, but I mean, JoJo's fighting games are kind of just the same thing as Dragon Ball ones to me. Though I guess that like they are played a little bit more seriously by fighting game people. I know there's that old, it's like a Super Nintendo one that people really like or Dreamcast or something. No, it's Dreamcast. Dreamcast, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, it's just, it's again, just fun because you're trying to match characters up. But the problem with all the JoJo's fighters I've played is they don't have the same range that like the Dragon Ball Z fighters do. I want to play as every possible JoJo's character, <laughs> right? I want to have like Speedwagon fight Koichi from, uh, from part four and that kind of thing. And I gotta, I gotta give an honorable mention to the Mazinger Z game for what the Super heck? Nintendo. I don't even know what that is. I mean, I know it's, what a, it's a two D. But... It's a two D platformer, uh, and basically, you are Mazinger Z in this game. You can do everything. You can become a god, or you can become a devil. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, like it's really janky, but at least you know, like I really what I, the main point for all these anime video games is. Is it? Am I gonna feel like Mazinger Z? Right, and I do when I play Mazinger Z for the Super Nintendo. Uh, we got. Oh no, the other well, question. We have the second half. second part. Is so I got a good. I got a good answer. The most for this. anime video game, like capital A anime. Hands hands down, Persona Four. <laughs> oh, the Persona games are pretty anime, as They're I understand. So it. anime. I was gonna say the the other answer, which you know. The, the game that is is the most looking like anime is for Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem was also going to be another one of my choices. But Persona probably wins because it's about like teens in high school, right? It's like it's essentially a long form TV series. Right. Adapted for a RPG dungeon crawling it, game. Does it have like it has like relationship systems and stuff? And then there's the whole like dating sim yeah, yeah. element to it. Uh, yeah. That's probably more anime than Fire Emblem, but Fire Emblem is consider, pretty anime. Consider that Persona 4 has two anime TV series of the same thing. Right. It's anime. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and and try to name some stuff that's not doesn't have the anime style, but sort of has got an anime thing going on. Uh, have you played Enslaved? Enslaved. It's Odyssey to the West or whatever it's called. The subtitle. It's a like it was on the Xbox 360, PS3 or something, and it's this like a I'm trying to think. I guess it's, it's like a just an action game, just generic sort of vaguely platformery action game where you play as it's it's Journey to the West, but with robots in the post-apocalypse of like New York or something. Wow. So you play as kind of like future mecha son Goku. And <laughs> you like you're literally like I forget I forget what you're called, like what his name is. I don't think his name is actually Goku, but it's some reference to to like the original, you know, Son Goku, which I think most people listening probably are aware, right? That's the inspiration for Dragon Ball. Uh the the chinese like folktale basically you have all of the all of the the classic journey to the west stuff like he has an extendable pole and things like that and he he looks like a monkey and he's like saving this girl um you meet up with a i think you meet up with like a pig guy or something at one point there's a lot of elements that are like taken from journey to the west but just a lot of it kind of 
feels like the sort of thing that someone would make into an anime where it's like Chinese folk legend, but there are robots and it's in this kind of like, you know, fantasy sci-fi post-apocalypse. That's a pretty anime game for something made by a Western studio. Trying to think, is there anything else like stuff like that? That's got a, that feels like it could be an anime, but it's not even made by a Japanese studio or anything. Well, actually wait, made, made by a Japanese studio. But Metal Gear Solid is pretty anime. Yeah. I'm, yeah, we can't get away with it. Uh, can't get away from it. But it's also just, it meshes so many. Yeah, yeah. So many, like, other things. So many, like, just things from films. Right, right. It, it's combining a lot of different pieces. Uh, <laughs> did you see the, did you see the announcement video? Or the, it wasn't the announcement video. It was just, like, something where, uh, where Kojima was talking about Death Stranding. And then he was, like, just going... He was, it was like first humans had had uh, sticks and then they had ropes and then they had uh, nets and so I put the the sticks with the nets and combined them with the ropes and that is Death Stranding. <laughs> it's just complete nonsense. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. And he had like diagrams too. It's like uh, the three different. This people, is gonna help. <laughs> and one of them has a stick, and one of them has a rope. And when you put them together, that's Death Stranding. <laughs> it makes perfect sense now. Uh, so that that's that question. We're gonna read one more from your friend and mine, Inaki. I think we answered a question from him last episode or two episodes ago. He says the take you berserk discussion. Listen to the last episode to find out the secret of Take You and Berserk from us. Uh, reminded me of how modern anime fandom is predicated a lot on extracting and discussing the minutia of the industry. Although I think this kind of discussion is a net positive thing, how do you think it affects consumption habits or the way people watch and enjoy anime as a whole? Well, if you just Very take me question. as an example, I can't enjoy anything. Yeah, me neither. So. Um but I'm very good at just focusing in on one little detail that won't change my life. But I'll just I'll stick to that one detail and just, just latch onto it <laughs> like a tick and just like suck all the life out of it. So I actually am going to somewhat take issue with part of the premise of Inaki's question. I think that an modern anime fandom is not necessarily predicated on the minutia of the industry. I think there is a subset of anime fandom online that has gotten very interested in that and they stick together and they talk to each other. And so there's a perception that that's what everybody cares about. But that's not the case. Yeah. I think like, like Shirobako is an example. Like he's probably asking the question from a perspective of thinking that Shirobako was a popular show in American anime fandom, which it is not <laughs> right. Like um, it is, it is beloved by the relatively small number of people who watched it. But I don't think, as far as I know, I do not think there was a huge group of people like comparing Shirobako to Food Wars or something like, right? The number of people watching it is significantly lower, but they are much more dedicated probably, right? So I guess within that that hardcore group of fans who who I, I I do agree right like within that group they have gotten much more interested in industry and production minutia than they would have been previously, and I think that was happening before Shirobako, but Shirobako probably accentuated it by taking a bunch of people who like basically you know we're doing the Ghibli 
Gynax shaft thing we were talking about and then giving them it's a little the bit more insight. Form. <laughs> it's the evolved form of the people that would say this looks like Gynax, this looks like Shaft, and this looks like Shibli. Well, I think it's good, to be clear, right? I think that like them them having a show that teaches them about the production process is is good because they get more perspective and, and have more to say about it. So how does it affect consumption habits? Uh, again, like I don't even know if within that group it affects consumption habits that much. Maybe one of the few things it does is increase an in interest in kind of like Sakuga. But even most, and I say Sakuga to refer again because I've talked about how I don't like it, to the particular way people interact with animation in anime, right? Uh, like as a fandom. And I think it basically stays pretty shallow is what i would actually say not to be like hating on people which you know we do here but (laughs) (laughs) but like i think a lot of people who are interested in that stuff don't actually dig into it it's it's a somewhat shallow appreciation for it so for example like one of my pet peeves about about sort of sakuga fandom is that it tends to just be people sharing so at least at the, you know, most of it probably, right? I think there's a there's a level of people who like who are are super hardcore animation geeks. But a lot of Sakuga fandom is people just sharing gifts of animation sequences that look nice. Except that this time around they can attach some text to it and then be like, this is this person animated. The animator. Right. And so But it's like there's a uh, there's a lot of the discussion around it tends to turn into at least from the majority of people that I tend to see talking about it tends to turn into like, I love that animators work. It's really good looking. Right. And so it, <laughs> it's, it's not like, like people aren't digging all the way down to the, the minutia. They are, you know, they're getting closer to that, but they're not like a hundred percent there. It's still fandom. I think that's the important part, right? Is that like people are not interacting with anime as, it's not like everybody's now interacting with it as a critic or as like a historian or a journalist. They're still interacting as fans. They are just now interested in lower level production things still as fans. There's, there's still this fandom angle of just like, wow, that's cool. It makes me feel good. Right. The problem is that it doesn't really enrich the experience of watching anything when you've got all this knowledge of like, okay, these people worked on this thing. This other person worked on this other thing. So that's why it's like stylistically the same or whatever. Uh, it's like, it's kind of like watching something with a score sheet and then you're just like marking off some boxes and saying, yeah, I actually, I haven't really thought about it in those terms, but I do sort of agree. I don't think it enriches. It's kind of like, it's, it's kind of yeah. like when you're like, like a, like a, almost like a, a sports nerd that approaches right, it right. as like oh well look he's batting yeah, like batting averages and things 238 or, or something and it's like well the numbers take away from the drama of the game doesn't it <laughs> uh so uh, yeah i guess i'm i partially agree but now i also think about it like i th- i think knowing knowing that stuff is is good i think there's a level of minutia that starts to get in the way but knowing knowing directors and writers and and like having a general sense for animators, I think that is good because it helps people find stuff they want to watch. It helps them kind of understand why this thing that they like is the way it is, so that they can go find other things. I'll take I'll take an issue when it's like, well, how much Sakuga does this one episode have? And then we're just you know measuring up the whole series as like, well, it's got this much Sakuga on it. 
See, that's the thing about about Sakuga. We're getting off on a bit of a tangent about that, but it's the the thing that that bothers me about it is that it's it's a focus on just like really good scenes that people see, right? And I think that that can have like a elite. I don't want to say it can have like a super negative impact, but it it can have an impact that I don't I don't think is you know necessarily what I want because you end up having people just talking about like well I you know I I want to watch things just if they have smooth animation and it it fails <laughs> to address the underlying artistic it it yeah actually it's basically it fails to address these underlying like artistic uh decisions being made and treats it as a scorecard right how smooth is the animation in this show which is not actually the question worth asking right the question is in what style is this animated the smoothness of it is like a secondary sort of just like technical concern of like did they have enough you know time to draw enough frames to execute the thing they were trying to execute but the important thing is what were they trying to do did they do right. it and how well right. did they do it? And then this sort of the budgetary concern or whatever of like how much time they had and how many frames they drew is really just about were they given the time and money to do what they were trying to do. Right. But that's that is a secondary concern to was what they were trying to do worth doing because you can smooth out bad animation all you want. Right. And it can still be a lame motion. That's not good. But people, I think, lack that. Again, not everybody, but but a fair number of people, I think, lack that ability to tell the difference between smooth, good animation and smooth, bad animation. And when I say good and bad, I'm just talking about subjective. I'm saying like, like, obviously, good and bad is different for different people. But I'm saying that, like, a lot of the discussion around Sakuga tends to revolve around good animation is animation with a lot of frames. Bad animation is animation without a lot of frames. (laughs) Right. Rather than somebody looking at it and saying, like, I think good animation is when they do this. Like, that's what I like. You know what I mean? But that's just like your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I want people to have different opinions. I've made that very clear when I do my animation panel is that good animation and bad animation is all just, you know, it's all just a subjective opinion. But the important part is having a vocabulary and an ability to recognize what makes one piece different from another. So you can decide which one you like and which one you don't like. And honestly, if you want to watch things with a scorecard in hand and you know be be my guest i guess yeah yeah i mean people can watch things however they want uh but i yeah i do think it it i think it has a tendency for certain people to pull them into a a sort of uh numerical almost kind of uh clinical approach to watching anime but i do i i do think for the majority of people they are mostly interacting with it in the same way but just with some added knowledge about it and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing like they're still fans they're still like you know they're they're still gonna kind of fangirl or fanboy over something and post a bunch of gifts and be like oh my god this character makes me feel all squishy and happy inside or whatever uh like but they'll they'll do that you know with just saying how much they love sayo yamamoto it's like it's like a level of abstraction removed or something right <laughs> I don't really feel that way about anything at this point. I'm uh, I'm dead inside. So I'm I completely don't sympathize now with like that kind of fandom way of dealing with things where people are are obsessed. I mean, even Trigger, who I love, I still feel like I'm I, I am that sort of clinical, just sort of like I'm interested to see what these people make. 
as opposed to being like, oh, God, oh, God, it's the coolest. They're the kind of guy that will just stand in the back rather than go up to the front to get like just squished by all the people trying to rush the stage <laughs> as Trigger performs their amazing whatever the hell they've made. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, I mean, to each their own. But very interesting question, Inaki. That was like, that would launch us into a very long conversation. That, that was a whole episode that we Basically. just talked about. <laughs> like an episode length discussion. Yeah. On fandom. If you guys have have thoughts on on that, like I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, listener responses to that that question, actually. You can email us at podcast at com, And, you know, we accept questions on there for the show. Just whenever, whenever you want to send something, you can send them anonymously if for some reason you don't want us to read your name. And if you want to, uh, you can also send us questions on Twitter, but we also send out a, send out a, you know, ask for questions before we record the show, which is every two weeks or so. I can't give an exact time when we'll actually, you know, put out the ask for questions, but just keep an eye on the Annie Gamers Twitter account. That's one word, Annie Gamers. And I am at sign Vampvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. I'm at sign QX20XXQX20XX. Go follow yeah. David. I keep telling everybody he's the top 100 under not, 100. Not too many of you, because otherwise I'm going to have to like force you into the uh, Battle Royale Island. And You're going to end up you being guys. top 1,000 under 1,000, and nobody wants to be there. <laughs> no. So you can also find more information about this podcast on anygamers.com slash podcast. That is where we put up all of the links to the episodes and our RSS feed. Uh, the descriptions show notes with links and pictures and things and comment threads all sorts of good stuff and you can go there to find uh, more info about old taku no radio our new spinoff show or you can just keep subscribing to this feed if you want to listen to both us and old taku no radio and uh, you can subscribe to us on itunes and on google music and on stitcher we keep asking for itunes reviews please do that we have like seven or so and i think we could you know we're at like four and a half stars we could use a couple more to bump it up to five uh any help you can give promoting us there that'd be awesome and we have zero reviews on stitcher so go review us on stitcher if you use that app to listen to the show we would very much appreciate that again helps uh, get us out to more people we both write for anygamers.com that is the main blog that this podcast was birthed from david just wrote a review of or (laughs) I just published uh, David's review. I just wrote it like maybe three months ago. Of uh, of Valhalla, which is spelled super weirdly. It's like a cyberpunk uh, bartending visual novel type thing. It's really good. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. David's review is pretty good. Uh, I'm I'm actually pretty interested in it, and and I'm not too too hot on visual novels. Well, you better get hot on them, Evan, because. You know what number we're on. We're about to get to episode number 69. And uh, I think the goal is for me to play a a porn visual novel and talk about it on the show. So we got to pick that. David and I are going to commiserate a little bit in the post show and figure out what I'm going to (laughs) play. And I write for, uh, you know, I also write for Gamers, but I write for Otaku USA Magazine, which is the only anime magazine still publishing in North America. Uh, Ink from Old Taku No Radio and Annie Gamers also writes for Otaku USA. So please check out the magazine. I don't remember what the latest cover is, but I am in most issues. And even if I'm not there, there's a lot of good articles from cool folks who you may have heard on this podcast. Anyway, that's it for this episode. We will see you guys 
next episode with the the most important number in the Anagamers podcast. Look forward to it. Yeah, these previous episodes have been the top 69 episodes under 69. Goodbye. Get out. Get out. Go away.